0: Okay. So, uh, first of all, like, can you introduce yourself for the coaches in
1: Taiwan? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Keegan Ross. I'm a strength coach and a physical therapist out here at Exos in Phoenix, Arizona.
0: Cool. So, how long have you been with Exos?
1: Yeah, I've been here just over three years now, so... Uh, I went. I was coaching uh, at some smaller gyms in Illinois prior to Exos, and then I decided to go to physical therapy school because once I was a coach, I kind of felt like I wanted to be able to help people who are still in pain or like couldn't move certain ways. So I just felt like I needed to learn more, and so I ended up going to grad school for PT school, and then continued to coach a lot of like high school and youth athletes, and then was fortunate enough to be able to join uh, Team Exos right after grad school. Cool. So,
0: you went to, like, the PT school, so that is that a reason that you kind of, like, posted a lot of, like, injury rehab, that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, so my position is pretty unique in that, like, I'm I'm a coach, and I help athletes who are completely healthy, trying to improve performance, but I'm also a physical therapist, so I can be more on the injury side of things, and and work with those athletes who are or just out of an injury or just out of a surgery and things like that so it really kind of helps me you know do a little bit of everything across the entire continuum which is one reason why i was really drawn to exos early is because it's a company that kind of does everything you know they have everything in house between pts and dietitians and coaches and so i just felt like the right setting for me and um it's been cool being able to play on both sides of that cool so uh
0: since you're a ther- physical therapist does that change the way you view uh performance side of stuff
1: yeah you know i think <clears throat> i think one thing that i've learned being both is that the fundamental principles of how a human being adapts to exercise is the same across the continuum right so the difference is like somebody's in pain or has key restrictions because they need to heal or recover from an injury, and so really early on, like PT school kind of helped me understand how to evaluate somebody and be able to figure out the deficits and and help me do interventions early and acute you know when somebody's fresh out of a surgery but I think my coaching knowledge really helps me with everything else you know once once an athlete's back to kind of health and they can walk and do simple stuff, then it really is about applying exercise to improve basic qualities like strength, power, integrating back to running, integrating back to cutting. And then at some point you have to get them all the way back to playing reactive uh, sport. Cool. So uh,
0: I know post some of like uh, the ACL rehab stuff, right? Yeah. Like introducing some of the, plyo and like deceleration that kind of stuff can like walk us through how to like uh from a let's say an athlete they just finish their like a surgery
1: and how to from there to go back to like the performance side absolutely love that question so phase one out of an injury, especially an acute injury, like an ACL rehab, you know, you're going to get them pretty early. Your first goal is just establishing health, right? Like you need to reduce pain, you need to reduce swelling and you have to get them back to like full range of motion and just being able to transfer in and out of a car, walk, do all the basic stuff that they need to do for life first. And so that's really your first goal and priority. And that kind of takes you through roughly, um, six to eight week range potentially, you know, after that, between eight and 16 weeks, you're really trying to get them uh, good foundational strength so that they can, you know, load and absorb force and be able to squat appropriately, be able to do lunges, things like that. And once you do that and they look good, have decent balance, decent strength, uh, you can introduce impact. I believe that's the first key phase taking somebody back towards higher level things. And so what I like to do is, is um, kind of like some of the posts I've shared, uh, introduce like landing via a drop squat or stepping off of a box, something like that, where the athlete is exposed to impact forces prior to you having them run. And in that phase, I'll take them from something like drop squats to some sort of slow jump, like a non-counter movement where they pause at the bottom and then actually jump. And I'll take them all the way to a similar strategy with a bound where they're standing on one leg, let's say their left leg and they jump to their right leg and land on the right leg. And so once I get them with the foundational piece of contacts, I feel pretty comfortable that they can handle the impact of running <clears throat> and we reintroduce running and make sure they can tolerate certain volumes of that prior to worrying about speed. And usually with an ACL rehab, the the biggest challenges are getting them to be able to slow down effectively and be able to decelerate effectively just because of a lot of weakness and inhibition and pain that happens in the front of the knee. So um, after you get them through that kind of middle stage where they're running and, you know, they're able to do that on land with decent volumes, I work into some sort of closed cutting work. Shuffle here, stop there. It's not very reactive. It's pretty basic. And then as you build context and volumes and intensities with those skills, at some point, you can transfer those to more sport-like scenarios, right? So I guess an example would be if somebody is comfortable uh, running with some sort of pace and stopping straight ahead, if they were a basketball athlete, they could probably also take a dribble into a jump shot. And so at some point, these drills start to become sport-like scenarios. And it just kind of starts to bleed into um, what what you would normally see as sport. One thing that we are playing with a little bit and that, you know, I'm still learning is how to leverage the force plate to where you have specific data on knowing when they're clear to do certain activities. You know, maybe maybe it's some sort of um, eccentric velocity that they can achieve or some sort of like asymmetry is less than 10% with landing and takeoff. And that's how you can know that they're clear to do the next phases. But, uh, that's kind of some of the stuff we're playing with. Cool.
0: So, uh, like what, what you just mentioned, how long will the process probably going to take like from yeah. finishing the surgery to like getting them
1: back to like the field? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, returning to sport is such a great area. There's so many factors and it's really uh, a lot of people are involved. You know, the PT, the strength coach, the athlete definitely has to be involved. You know, are they confident enough to play? Do they feel comfortable? Things like that, but also the coach and, and everybody else involved there, the medical staff. But uh, in terms of ACLs, I you know, it depends on the scenario, it depends on the athlete, but the absolute earliest would be nine months. And really, it's not even about the time, it's more about if they've demonstrated the qualities and the abilities to actually, you know, demonstrate some sort of force and power capabilities, the ability to actually reactively change directions, and be able to like, integrate back to sporting like activities. And so, usually somewhere between nine months and a year is when we can accomplish those tasks. But um, it's also not uncommon for it to be longer than that. You know, I think we commonly just say, hey, it's going to be nine months. And then athletes and other people hear, oh, it's nine months no matter what. But, you know, sometimes you have a more complicated surgery or other things happen to where it just takes a long time to develop some of these qualities. And really the important thing is that the athlete is actually physically prepared. And can demonstrate that they can handle the, the demands of sport. Cool.
0: I also I also noticed that at Exos they put a lot of like rotational movement into like multi-directional state, right? So uh as a as a like as a performance coach, also a physical therapist, what are your thoughts on like uh putting rotational movement into, like, like, uh, training athletes.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's huge, right? Like, um, the athlete at some point is going to have to be able to tolerate rotation and forces in every direction, especially if you look at all the common sports, like, they require them to move in all directions from various positions and react to a stimulus to do that. And so, you know, if you were just taking an athlete through just straight playing, just straight running just straight cutting, then there's definitely going to be some missing pieces there. And then, you know, that's potentially a place they wouldn't be prepared to handle that stress as they return back to sport. And so I think one, making sure that you expose them to it, but two, making sure you can actually train it and develop qualities in those areas is really important. Um, And then, you know, obviously like locally, not trying to go down any rabbit holes, but you know, there's different rotations and things that happen in almost every joint with with tons of movements. And so really, even in the straight plane, there's going to be some degree of stress with that. But uh, I think it's it's largely important.
0: I noticed that there's a lot of like uh, I follow a lot, like some of the therapists work in exos. They post a lot of like rotational movement. Yeah. During, probably during the off-season or uh, just coming back from some sort of injury, that kind of stuff. And they do a lot of like barefoot training.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a, a, lot, of, a lot of people within our company that definitely do a lot of that stuff. Um, really, we, you know, that side of it is they're trying to take, like, the foot and ankle and tie it to how the knee would also move and the hip would move and the T-spine would move. So they're really just trying to Connect movement from a local standpoint all the way through a global standpoint.
0: Cool. So next thing I want to discuss is uh, well speed. Yeah. Yeah, I know at EXOS you do you, you guys train a lot of like athlete and you also do some combine prep, right?
1: Definitely. Yep.
0: So for combine prep, there's going the athletes gonna probably train a lot like linear speed right for like 40 yard dash
1: yeah that's that's the uh, money maker right that's the big ticket item so that's definitely a large importance in our program
0: yeah so can you walk us through how to like uh how you guys train athlete during the whole week
1: yeah definitely so i think you know really with any training goal speed strength returning to sport it all starts with your assessment and so At Exos, we bring athletes in and they go through what we call our athlete experience where really on day one, they're getting a evaluation with a dietitian, a physical therapist and a performance coach or strength coach. And so with that, we, we identify key areas where we can improve this athlete's performance, whether that be body composition, or maybe they can't move well through their hip or ankle or something like that. And then with the coach, you know, we get to get them on the force plates and see, can they produce power? Overall, can they produce it quickly? Are they super bouncy or elastic? Do they have a, a, like a high RSI? And then with those things, and even also looking at like their speed, obviously, if we're going to talk about the 40 yard dash, we got to know how fast they are when they come in the door. Right. So we get all of that information and we decide where the le- weak links are. Um, and then we try to target those things specifically. So, you know, sometimes the dietitian is honestly the best speed coach because maybe an athlete is just a little heavy and they're not going to run fast when they're heavy. Right. So making sure they're listening to our dietitian, the meal plan, things like that. And obviously training too, but some of those things end up being just as important as the field work. And so uh, in combine the schedule generally looks like a linear speed day on Monday, um, potentially a linear speed day on Tuesday, if not a multi-directional day on Tuesday, another uh, top end speed movement on Wednesday, a multi-direction on Thursday and then another linear speed movement Friday. So three to four, uh, linear speed movement sessions during the week are happening. So
0: there's like, yeah, three or four days for linear speed. So how do you do like programming for speed? Is it like, uh, like, uh, do, do like, uh, starting on the Monday and probably like some Excel on Wednesday and I don't know. What does it look yeah. like?
1: Yeah, yeah. <sighs> so you, usually a general layout would be like acceleration on uh, Monday and Friday for sure. If we add in another linear speed day on Tuesday or Thursday, it's probably also acceleration. And then that Wednesday is usually our top in speed day. Um, and so a, a huge piece of the, the 40 is having a great start. Uh, another huge piece is being able to actually carry your speed and finish through the whole 40 yard. So, you know, we, we definitely devote a lot of time to the front half because it's a skill learning how to get an aggressive angle to be able to snap out of the start. And then, um, the back half is just our highest risk. So, um, we're usually doing that around one time a week. It's also the most taxing on a body too, right? Like trying to run full speed. You can't carry that out multiple days all the time you know it's so there's technical days and there's um high speed effort days too
0: so is there like going to be like uh, like how many uh like how do you program like uh yeah how do you program for speed is it like let's say like a 10 yard that 10 yards dash for like a day or like i don't know
1: yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think, I think at first, right. It's kind of, it's kind of uh, phased out just like the weight room would be right. Like you gotta, you gotta teach a technique. You gotta make sure that they understand keys to, you know, what we're trying to coach and what it should look like and things like that. And so, um, we will, we will have those phases where we're just teaching them the appropriate leg actions, the appropriate postures, you know, how to actually attack the ground. And then we'll also have the phases where, we're really trying to improve overall speed. And I think where we can get specific is based on the assessment that we did earlier. You know, if if an athlete is already really good at producing um, high force really quickly out of a start from a standstill, right? They don't need to like load into it at all. Uh, Then we might not have to try to improve that a ton. Maybe that's already one of their strengths, but maybe one of their weaknesses is that they're not very elastic and that they can't transfer force off the ground really well. And so we would then give that per- person uh, a lot more like fast contacts, uh, like continuous plyometric variations for the back half. Um, and so, you know, obviously it's going to depend, but in general it's it's going to be some of those fine tweaks uh, with that. But in terms of like the actual field session, um, you know, maybe an athlete, an athlete will definitely get a lot of practice with their three-point starts set up, and that's going to be on our acceleration days. We do leverage timing for uh, zero to 20 yards, zero to 10 yards, something in that range to try to get the athletes to, one, compete against each other in a group, which really drives intent and effort, but two, to also track progress. Um, and then on the back half days, they'll, they'll do what we usually do is a flying 20. And so they'll get 20 yards to run into it and then we'll time the back half. And again, it's uh, driving intent within the session because then each athlete goes and the other athlete knows what that athlete got before them. So they're trying to compete with each other, but then it's also a way for us to track progress and throughout all of these sessions, we're, we're constantly collecting film, uh, to where we can educate the athlete on the technical demands. And so we'll review that film with them throughout the week and show them like, hey, this is what you're doing. This is what we want it to look like, et cetera. But I think, I think in terms of like actually training, it's, it's really the maybe three or four big buckets of one, the nutrition and body comp and making sure those things are happening. Two, the technical components or movement qualities like, you know, from a rehab perspective, maybe somebody had an ankle sprain during the season and they can't get into ankle dorsiflexion. And if you can't get an ankle dorsiflexion, you can't get an aggressive shin angle in your start, which means you're likely not gonna have as an aggressive projection out. And so maybe a big thing for them is just cleaning up their ankle mobility and, and strength. Uh, and then lastly would be more the performance aspect, you know, making sure that they can produce enough power from a starting position and also transfer force really well with, with the back half.
0: Cool. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> So, how long was the combine? Is it like eight week or like twelve weeks?
1: Yeah, it kind of depends on the calendar year, but uh, standard program is usually around eight weeks. Guys will usually roll in right after the first the year in January, and then combine is usually that last week of February, first week of March timeframe. So,
0: yeah, cool. So, uh, usually, how fast? I mean, yeah, how fast you're gonna get? throughout those eight weeks
1: yeah so um i think i could be wrong about this you know my role within combine has been um everything from assistant coach behind john barlow who i believe you talked to recently um to like just pt so they can flex me a lot and so uh nick hill is our speed coach he's been our speed coach out here for a while so he would be more familiar with these exact numbers but my understanding is our our improvement is usually um at least a tenth to two tenths of a second um sometimes more, which doesn't maybe sound like a lot, but in forty yards that's pretty it's significant crazy. yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it's a lot it's a lot
1: yeah, and in <laughs> eight weeks that's a that's a big change but, that's crazy um you also you know gotta remember that these are already very talented and gifted yeah athletes. very elite athletes yeah they're already um great performers and so really. That's where like that athlete experience and the eval is so important because when you're already a great athlete, you can't just like shotgun approach it and give them everything. You know, that you need a potent dose, like almost like sniper fire of like, this is the variable that needs to change. And so that eval, the experience we have with the process, all of those things really helps us like dial in on the athletes program to change the variables that need to change. Cool.
0: That's a lot, like two tenths of a second. That's kind of crazy for eight
1: weeks. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many changes. Even even like the bench press numbers, their body composition. Like you can, it's just cool to like see them enter and they're like nervous, excited. They've heard about us, but they don't really know. And then they get to know us, and you just develop the relationship with the athlete, and like you just grow with them in this process. And it's always really cool to see the transformation.
0: Cool. So I also noticed that you also train basketball players. Yes. So what's it's like to train basketball player?
1: Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. So um, uh, after John Barlow transitioned out, I now took over the NBA offseason program. And so it's, it's a, a really good group of guys. You know, I grew up playing basketball. It's one of my favorite sports. Um, and so it's, it's similar to other athletes, right? Like you got to understand them, understand their needs, understand the demands of the sport be able to do some sort of evaluation process to know where they're at and then understand their goals and what they're trying to do, you know? So some guys maybe just want to be durable, recover, get ready and healthy for the season. Other guys are playing for a contract. Maybe they're a G League guy or a 10 day guy. And they're like, I got to break through and get my my spot on the team. And so um, the offseason has different looks for everybody, but in general, um, basketball players usually get a ton of time on the court a ton of time with like velocity and speed-based stimulus and usually a little less time, uh, during the season with the weight room. And so early on, I'm starting the guys with one, getting healthy, but two, not a ton of plows, not a ton of speed work, like get them healthy and like spend some time in the weight room, redeveloping some fundamental qualities of strength. And then as we transition back towards the season, you got to make sure they're exposed to, contacts plyometrics things of that nature to get them ready for the demands of the the court but the one thing i've learned is that basketball athletes never have a problem going to the gym and playing pickup so even in the off season they're in the gym playing pickup getting exposure to that um so i'm just respecting that they're already getting that stimulus somewhere and just putting less of it in my program early on cool i saw you put some like
0: hill hill elevated single leg squat right
1: uh, yeah, I was doing some isometrics, just some floating heel isometrics. It was in our warm up. Um, yeah, I, I like some of that work. One, a lot of a lot of basketball players have like patellar tendonitis or like just general like anterior knee uh, limitations. And early off season, an isometric is one way. It's not the only way, but it's one way to easily get some sort of stimulus for that. And then um, two, I really like the floating heel because it puts a little bit of demand on on the soleus. And your quad and your soleus are two big decelerators, but also like soleus is, is going to be huge just for that lower foot health, lower foot ankle health. So uh, it's a simple exercise that I like to include in the warm-up for the guys. Cool.
0: So uh, are you going to acid progress? Are you going to like load the single leg heel elevated squat?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that was, um, like I said, just in our warm-up. So their warm up usually is like some mobility work, especially for the hips and ankles, and then some sort of like isometric work for like the lower foot and knee health. And then I expose them to some jump roping, some like deceleration work. And then phase one, like I said, is really the the key days are like lower body strength, upper body strength, another lower body strength day early, and then upper body volume. Some guys are usually trying to put on a little bit of weight after they've lost from the season. And so those are kind of our big four themes throughout the week. But as we get closer to the season, which around now, you know, end of July, towards the beginning of August, we'll start to transition to where there's only uh, one lower body strength day and the other day turns into like a speed power day. So it's going to be faster movements, trying to express force quickly, um, and then lots of plyometrics and and some speed work just to get them back and used to sprinting and stopping. Um, But... Yeah, rear foot elevators uh, and trap bar deadlifts are are common in the program throughout the whole phase.
0: Cool. So one thing that is, I think like all sports has in common common is like they all have a lot of like hamstring injury, right? Yeah. So uh, from your role, I don't want to use prevent. So how would you like decrease the chance to for athlete to get like hamstring injury
1: for sure yeah i think it goes back to our athlete experience intake process is step one um from a rehab side of things the therapist in the situation would evaluate them and get their history we know that a history of an injury before is like the biggest risk factor for a future injury um, but it's also a factor that you can't really change. Like you can't change that. You've been injured in the past. So it just is what it is. You can't modify that variable. And so it's good to know though, um, because then you need to dial in on those areas, maybe a little bit more if an athlete is like, Hey, yeah, I've had three hamstring strains, you're probably going to try to do everything you can with other variables to make sure they're good to go. Um, outside of that, uh, when they're meeting with the dietitian, we could talk about the importance of hydration, especially before court work, after court work, things like that. And then performance wise, they're going to get an evaluation with the um, Nordic, um, Nordic hamstrings, Nordic ISOs. And so we'll get to see force capabilities Um, with that assessment. You can see rate and you can see peak. And so it's really nice to know, hey, maybe this athlete is strong enough but he can't do it fast enough. And so maybe we we do an intervention that's more speed based or maybe there's a large asymmetry, you know, I have one guy this off-season who has a hamstring asymmetry of like 30%. And so uh this exact scenario is something we're currently working on and and he has had a history of hamstring strains and um you know, we're doing a ton of uh eccentric strengthening in various positions with the hip flexed and both the hip extended just to address all the positions that the hamstring would be in. But I think it's, it's a tricky process. And I think you just got to start with, you know, can the hamstring do what it needs to do? And then can you tie the hamstring doing what it needs to do with global activities, such as sprinting, jumping for a rebound or dunk or whatever it may be. And, um, exposing them to those demands as they improve with the local qualities of hamstring strength.
0: So uh, like what I just mentioned, you mentioned like Nordic yep. and like, like basically like no matter if like eccentric or concentric or isometric strengthen it like yep, in every like possibility, like length or like, which kind of situation they're going to be, right?
1: Right. Yep. Definitely.
0: So, uh, besides like hamstring strain, what is the most common injury you see in exos?
1: Oh man. Um, we get so many, uh, like like sport and orthopedic injuries. I mean, everything from ankle sprains to hamstring strains, even like adductor and quad strains, to just general low back or hip pain, you know, rotator cuff tears or shoulder impingement and our baseball players, elbow injuries. Like there's really honestly, all the common sport injuries we see, but I feel like I have seen a ton of lower extremity injuries since I've been there. Um, a lot of hamstring strains, a lot of adductor strains and I've, I've treated a lot of ACLs and uh, ankle sprains. Those are probably like some of the most common ones that I see, but I've also seen all the other ones too. Cool. So that's kind
0: of like all the questions I have for like performance. Yeah. So next thing I want to ask is uh, like, since you, your role in Exos, you sometimes work at PT, right. And sometimes work at performance coach. Right. So like, in the past three years in Axos, which like role is you like it more?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's such a challenging question. People always ask me that and I always have a tough time answering because it's like, I, I'm at the point where it's almost the same thing to me. Like, um, I, I guess I'll, to give you a firm answer and answer the question, I'll, I'm always going to be a coach first. And I think that's an important distinction for me because I think that makes me a better therapist because I understand communication. I understand how athletes think and feel. I understand how to conduct exercise in a group. I understand how exercise can be applied to improve performance. And sometimes like PT school doesn't really teach you that stuff, unfortunately. And I think it's a huge missed area, but um, it's just the reality of the situation. And so, but uh, really the whole process is just context is different. Like as a PT, I'm getting an athlete who is in the context of pain and has a goal of improving back to what they used to be able to do. But with performance, the athlete is healthy and they have a goal of improving in some area of performance in their life. And so really both of those scenarios allow me to assess an athlete, build trust with an athlete and apply exercise to improve and achieve our goals. So really like at this point, maybe it's just my viewpoint, but I think it's very similar fields, um, kind of almost the same job, just different context and maybe a few other hands-on tools that a PT would use over, over a coach.
0: So eventually still want to be like a performance coach, right?
1: Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I am a, a strength coach now. So, you know, it is it's interesting with the role kind of like we talked about. It'll change throughout the season. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be just a coach and just a PT or like 50-50. Like I might like this summer, my my schedule has pretty much been treat somebody, coach three groups, treat one or two people. Like, so I go just PT, coach, PT, and it just flows throughout the day. But I've also been in situations where uh, a team will trust me with an athlete to rehab them and coach them. And I'm just with that athlete one on one. And I take them from injury or rehab right through into performance. And that happens within a within a session. And so, um, yeah, I really like being able to apply both of those things and just trying to continue to grow as a practitioner.
0: Yeah. So as a coach which element of like the let's say probably like speed or like strength or like olympically which is the most favorite thing you like
1: yeah um i think i really enjoy coaching all of it but i think if i had to pick one i'd put a little bit more with the speed and movement um just because it's it's such a underutilized area i feel like you know like everybody thinks of our field as, as the weight room which is largely important i love the weight room just as so much as anybody else um but like when you see a skilled movement coach and they understand how to improve movement skills and tie it to a sport like it's just it's just next level so i would put that one i thought i
0: thought speed is big right now in the state.
1: Oh, it definitely is. I think it's growing. I just mean, in general, like from when I first started, I feel like a lot of gyms wouldn't really do it. And it's definitely evolving and growing and a lot more people are doing it, but I think it's still just such a, such a huge area. So do you want to like,
0: so you would love to like train more about speed, right? I, I saw you post a lot of speed training on your Instagram.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely like that stuff. It's fun, especially with rehab. Like you know, obviously performance wise, it's catching on, but rehab wise, there's not a lot of, obviously there are therapists out there that do it and it's growing and things like that, but it's not necessarily commonplace in the physical therapy world, uh, at the general level, maybe not so much in pro sports, pro sports and higher ups is going to happen, but in the general, like private sector, it's not really as common as you would think. And it's unfortunate, you know, it's a huge missed uh, opportunity, I think with our athletes and patients. So,
0: yeah, like, like last year I started to train track myself. Yeah. And I, I literally pulled my hamstring like three times during this year.
1: Oh, oh man. Yeah, it's never fun. I feel like you get sniped trying to run down the track. Yeah, and like had to go
0: go to like to like the therapist and kind of had to explain that why and how i got injured and how i want to go back there's there's kind yeah. of a gap between like performance and no there's kind of like a gap between performance and therapist and when it comes to like speed or like field
1: movement the gap i think the gap's larger agreed and that's one reason why i love that so much because there's huge opportunity there for for growth for our our industry But also like as a patient, then that makes it hard, right? Because you don't know, like you, you want to go back to sprinting and not have pain and you're seeking a therapist to help you do that. But if the therapist doesn't know how to do that, then how do you do, you know? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It is hard. Yeah.
0: Cool. So that's kind of like all the questions I have for today. Okay. So
1: awesome. Yeah. Eric,
0: if, if the audience let, let uh, sorry if maybe some of the coaches who are interested in what we are talking about today where can they reach out to you
1: yeah instagram is going to be best um the the handle would be keegan k-e-e-g-a-n underscore ross r-o-s-s underscore d-p-t cool
0: appreciate it man appreciate for our time
1: yeah thank you eric it was a pleasure